as Pastor Meg mentioned, um, we have a our annual Duke Divinity pastoral intern to announce, but he's not with us because of uh, some precaution around um, how he was feeling today. But this year, uh, our latest installment is Brody Higginbotham. Uh, many of you know Brody from around here. He's either behind a giant upright bass or uh, uh, maybe he's showing off his newest woodworking creation or something else around Oak Church. And so we're so glad to have um, uh, him as part of that intern program that that has been so important for the life of Oak Church and has been important in my own uh, vocational story of being an intern at a church and really being able to carve out um, uh, what God was calling me to give me opportunities and reps to, to figure out how to um, uh, speak to people, not in my divinity school classrooms uh, and worship God together. Uh, and so we're uh, praying, hoping, and excited uh, to share in that experience with Brody uh, this year. And so he'll be with us next week uh, to preach, and that'll be part of his um, task, among other things, preaching, and uh, as Pastor Meg mentioned, our emerging youth group, uh, middle schoolers, and and uh, coming up to middle school, we're growing a youth group from scratch here. It's a very grassroots process for us at Oak Church, and Brody's going to be a part of that. And so, uh, any ways that you can come alongside of him this year in praying for him, but also in in supporting his efforts, so you, you see him him working on something, uh, I'm sure he'd love your help. Uh, and so uh, we, we love we love our interns here, and, and, and uh, we're excited to dive into this uh, academic year together. I'm going to invite Wayne to come and read uh, our passage today, just one verse from Romans 15. Uh-oh. <laughs> Excuse me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Yeah, that back screen gets further every year. It sure does. <laughs> so during this season, we're working through the Spirit's fruit in our lives. And last week, we detailed the inseparable love of Christ, which is planted in us like a seed to grow and to bear fruit, which might draw us near to God and others when we are threatened. The passage in Romans 8 said, by death, life, angels, demons, powers, principalities, circumstances, past, present, future, low, deep, and wide, there is no condemnation in Christ, and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Full stop, period. That was a great sermon. We could do that sermon every week. But we'll continue in this list of spirit fruits that Paul writes in Galatians. And this week, we uh, continue and we'll combine a couple of uh, hard fruits. Hard fruits that are good fruit, but they're hard to come by. Joy and peace. You see, joy and peace, they normally seem like designated topics for times of the year like Advent. That's when we mostly talk about joy and peace. In fact, for Joy Sunday, we even light a pink candle. It's beautiful. 
Maybe it's that time of year we're all tired, but we're mostly up for singing and thinking about such thoughts. Sweater weather is always a little more optimistic, right? We want to end the year well. But these days, joy and peace seem like pretty exotic fruit. These are, are the sort of fruits that uh, up until recently you could only grow and find if you lived on some tropical island where beautiful and tasty things grow where it's always five o'clock there and, 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 you know, the conditions are always correct. The climate is mild, right? But here and now, growing conditions for things like joy and peace, these sorts of fruits are anything but favorable. There's just turn on a TV or fire up your social media and you'll see the strife in Afghanistan as we approach the 20th anniversary of this collectively traumatic event of 9-11 that we're still not exactly sure what that is doing to us as a people and as individuals. There's military oppression in Myanmar and there's a Gulf region that is underwater and without power. There's Texas lawmakers creating a spirit of suspicion and cruelty and vigilante justice. Meanwhile, Durham continues to break its own records for violence on our streets, which tears apart our neighborhoods. Our housing market continues to push people out and many of our neighbors are pushed onto the street well, of course, all of this, the, the backdrop, the tape that's running in the background that's so low that we stop hearing is this 18 month of the pandemic that we're entering into and it seems to be getting worse. How can joy and peace grow in conditions like this? What is wrong with our soil? And that's just a sample of what we came into here this morning with on our minds. So if you need to take a breath. <laughs> That's heavy, it's, it's a lot of lifting. This doesn't even account for the ruptures in our relationships. Maybe that's what you're coming here with. Or stress about school or work or fear about the future. For all the joy that I get in this room uh, this morning uh, when we were uh, walking through the service and praying, I, I had to give the directive, uh, the, the suggestion to Marcus and Katie is like, when you're gathering back the room, you might have to be a little more forceful because these people like to be together. You know, they won't regather on their own. So there's so much joy in this place, but there's also all these things that threaten our joy. There's looming dread related to all these things. And it reminds us that we, that, that peace is also hard to come by. Whether we're talking about the kind of peace that is just like, a stillness and a calmness and a centeredness or the, the more kind of robust shalom piece of scripture that is God putting things back together and making things right. All of these things that are playing in the background of our lives and sometimes in the forefront of our minds throughout the week remind us that we can't be like those uh, criticized by the prophets <laughs> that said peace, peace, where there is no peace, right? We might be skeptical that joy and peace can grow in this climate at all. And if so, there, there, there's probably not enough of this for us to survive on. So in thinking about these conditions, these, this rare fruit of joy and peace, I remembered um, a few years back when I was in college, and we'll call this the parable of the coffee house plant, right? 
uh, bear with me. I remember back in college, it's hard, it's hard, I'm dating myself here because this was before really good coffee was, was available like everywhere and, and people were just making the change from Folgers and realizing like there is better out there. You don't, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to make your coffee not taste like coffee to actually drink it, right? And so I had this friend and, and, and he, he decided to take a shot at growing a coffee plant. And some of the, the thoughts in his mind, this is a dramatic uh, simulation. This is not a, a real picture. Um, <laughs> some of the thought in his mind was, was starting to, to become aware of, of not only where coffee grows and how it grows, but also, also the, all the hands in the process, the farmers and uh, the, the, the people that buy wholesale beans and the roasters and, and, and of course, the, the close to last steps of people preparing the actual coffee, brewing it, the baristas, et cetera. And so there was this idea my friend had to grow this house plant, coffee plant, and to see how easier or how hard or how possible that would be. And so needless to say, their big yield of just a handful of cherries is, is the co that little coffee bean is inside this big husk called a cherry. Took about a year and a half and they got about a handful of these coffee cherries, right? That maybe less than what is on that picture, right? And they took all the time to carefully harvest these cherries to, to, to remove them from the husk and to process them, to roast them, to grind them perfectly to get the proportions of, of coffee right and to produce the most hard fought ounce of coffee you've ever had in your life. I'm not even sure that it was that good, <laughs> but it gave them an appreciation and an awareness for what goes into every single gorgeous cup of shade grown organic single origin goodness. You enjoy hunched over your laptop in a public cafe, right? It was a reminder that fruit never comes easy. That there, there are, of course, those tropical, beautiful places where fruit seems to grow like magic on the side of a mountain at the perfect elevation and it gets to your table. But fruit never comes easy. It doesn't come automatically, but it is possible. We could look at this and be so discouraged that it takes so much just to grow an ounce of coffee, so much time and so much investment and so much probably talking to and singing over their little house plant, right? Or we could be encouraged that even in apartment buildings, nowhere near the slopes of Mexico or Ethiopia or Kenya, with some attention, some intention, some diligence, goodness still grows. So friends, uh, <laughs> we'll switch over now to a couple of vignettes of places where goodness has grown. Uh, some, some kind of role models and case studies from scripture specifically about these fruits of, of joy and, and peace, these, these, these things that maybe even seem a little foreign to us. So I, my first case study is Mary. Can't go wrong going with Mary, right? <laughs> that's that's like the uh, the second answer in Sunday school. If it's not Jesus, probably Mary. So Mary's story takes all of these ideas of joy 
in growing joy, in being joyful, takes all of these out of the abstract and makes them concrete. That's one of the most scandalous and one of the most beautiful things about the Gospels is that uh, they present to us a picture in a real place at a real time of real struggles and real joy. So <laughs> I, it, it's, it's challenging to think of as we read the Nativity story, and, and we have a few months before we start reading those, those texts and singing those songs, but next time you do, consider in this Mary story that it's pre presenting us with uh, a hypothetical for our own time in our own place. If a, if a poor pregnant girl showed up on the steps of Oak Church, maybe on the steps of any church in America, maybe on the steps of a Texan church, would it be easy to see her at best at having a problem or at worst of being a problem needing to be solved? But as complicated as Mary's situation was, as complicated as all of our situations always necessarily are, the, the story in the Gospels that includes Mary, that centers Mary, is a story where God is working and God is growing joy. Jesus comes to us via Mary, and that reminds us that no one is a problem and that every quote-unquote problem is an opportunity for joy to be born in the midst of poverty, in the midst of political strife. We remember Mary and Joseph f flee <laughs> to, to Egypt to, to, um, to get away from political oppression and, and maybe even dire political uh, oppression. So don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that problems don't come at us, that times aren't hard. It just means that these hard times aren't going to dictate whether or not joy can grow. The fruit of Mary's womb, Jesus, comes from a good stock, from a people Israel who's used to singing songs about hard-fought joy, like Psalm 126 that we just sang. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. A key feature of God's salvation that comes in Jesus, that will come again in Jesus, is joy. This is an, an interrupting joy, a, a joy that, that jumps right in. It's an incursion of grace in a world hell-bent on scarcity. I love that song that we sang, Grace Upon Grace, this abundant and overflowing, charged world of God's grandeur and God's activity. So that's the story of Mary. It's a story of, of joy in the midst of it all. Now, another case study, this time in growing peace. And this also comes from, from Jesus' family tree. This is the character Rahab. Do we remember, do we have good Sunday school uh, kids that remember Rahab? That, maybe that's not the best picture of Rahab. That might be a, li a, little, a little too kind and gentle uh, picture of Rahab. But Rahab shows up in Jesus' family tree in Matthew. And the main thing that brings Rahab into God's story of redemption has to do with her willingness to be hospitable. Her willingness to be hospitable. In fact, that's maybe the only thing that makes her notable, that, that gets her into this family tree, into this story. It's a little more of a deep cut than Mary. Before, uh, before 
she positioned herself between the king's men and Joshua's spies, the ones scoping out Jericho so they could conquer. It was God's people that inherited a land that they were promised. And she was this Gentile anonymous sex worker in this land, in this land being scouted. I imagine someone in her position wouldn't really want to get deeply involved in talking to the authorities talking to these scouts. She wouldn't want to be tied up in a manhunt. She wouldn't have much to gain from talking to a foreign enemy and hiding them on a roof, but she did anyway. She made room for them. She made room in a life that didn't have a whole lot of margin or room to spare. She ran interference for these men. She created just enough space for these men. And the, the seedy part of the story is these men were probably her quote-unquote clients, and they could slide under the radar and keep their lives. So well before the travel-weary, bedraggled, and very pregnant Mary that we sing about in all of our precious dreams, way before Mary knocked on the innkeeper's door with Jesus in her belly hoping for some rest and relief, Rahab, who is a Gentile and a woman, made her livelihood on infidelity, and she was the one providing the hospitality. She was in the middle of a story, opening her door to God's salvation, to God growing peace. That's how the math of hospitality works. Henry Nouwen describes it as the paradox of hospitality. That is, wanting to create an emptiness, but not a fearful emptiness, a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free. An emptiness where strangers can come and discover themselves as created free. There's a freedom in this hospitality. This hospitality is a work of hope that tends a seedbed that encourages peace to grow. So maybe Rahab, who is generally known by her profession, Rahab the prostitute, and even in Hebrews 11, says that she was uh, a prostitute. But Hebrews 11 also says she wasn't killed because she welcomed the spies in peace. There's that word, peace. That she might become, maybe for us, Rahab the hospitable. Maybe that's a better title. Or this icon calls her Rahab the just. There's always a, a tie between peacemaking and justice. <clears throat> so joy and peace, when they're connected with God's movement and God's purpose, have a knack for growing at strange times and strange places among strange people. This surprising growth is anything but automatic, but it's always possible. Friends, as we go to, here today, uh, as we walk into our, our weeks that like, you know, it's like driving a new car off the lot. They say the second you, you drive a new car off the lot, it, it loses value. I feel like when we walk, the second we walk out of the doors of this church, our lives just get a lot messier than they were 10, 15 minutes ago. Not to say that we're not messy or disorganized a little in here. <laughs> but friends, as we go out this week, rely on that. Rely that that joy and peace can grow even in the messiness of our lives, even in the, the gardens that look untended, the soil that doesn't seem very rich. In our passage today, we come to the apostle's benediction, his parting shot for the Roman church, that God may fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, 
that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Joy and peace inside of this hope sandwich. It's an overflowing hope, an abundance from the God of hope in the power of the Holy Spirit, which grows joy and peace. Hope in the Holy Spirit seemed to be the key to this harvest. Hope in the Holy Spirit. Answers to just how we might grow joy and peace in the midst of unfavorable conditions. How we might experience joy that interrupts our sorrow and our anxiety, our acute awareness of what we don't have and what we need. How we might begin not only to experience peace, but to be part of making peace. Working with God to piece back together all those things that have been broken and torn, to mend relationships and bring our neighbors back to the same table to participate in healing and wholeness. Neither of these things come naturally. They have to be hoped into existence, first by God and then by us. And that hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, persist in all seasons, in all climates, not dependent on what we see or how we feel, because Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension has fundamentally changed things. Can I get an amen to that? It's, it's still fundamentally changing things by the power of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I think of Leslie Newbegin's comment, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Period. This is an absurd and unlikely hope that grows our joy and our peace even in the midst of it all. I want to close uh, with a little Oak Church story as, as we're coming up on our seventh anniversary at the end of next month in October. I always, always kind of wax a little... Uh, sentimental or emotional thinking back to all the years and looking back through pictures. As I mentioned in our Friday update in the email, one of the, th the first things that happened for Oak Church is that we had a party and we planted a garden. It's pretty awesome building block, good DNA. And Phil's showing some of these pictures. This is uh, the one that's up there is us first tilling over the land, and this happened in the fall. The first thing we planted was just cover crop, just clover, just trying to make the soil amenable for something to maybe grow there sometime. And, and so we planted this garden, and over the years, you can see this plot start to shift and change. Uh, it looks so bare compared to what we're gathering around each week. Um, there are different people involved in each season. Uh, this is Joey. I don't think uh, he was our very first Oak Church intern. Speaking of interns, and I don't think he realized that he was channeling the, uh, Van Gogh, the sower, with that pose. But it's kind of perfect. Um, and then uh, over the seasons, we we've seen that garden uh, get more structure, bear much fruit. There have been seasons that have been really hot. And, and not very rainy, and so the jalapenos have been really spicy uh, and very surprising when, when they burn even me, who likes hot food, out. 
but the, some of the little kids from Gospel Baptist, the church from Myanmar, will walk up and just snap into one raw, like no problem, right? Um, we've had seasons where we can't figure out what to do with okra. We've had so much of it. That, that's a very North Carolina problem. Uh, we've had seasons uh, where our neighbors have have gleaned from our harvest and, and where we've brought baskets of the fruit of this garden around the neighborhood and where we've used it in our potluck meals. And so this garden has become a beautiful sign and symbol and foretaste for us of what it means to be a church that is that God is growing, even in the seasons where it's fallow, even in the seasons of cover crop, uh, God is working in our midst. And so uh, a few years back, Pentecost actually, in 2017, uh, we planned a special um, service and it was supposed to be inside here and it was a Pentecost service that we were going to hang out and worship together and combine our band with our friends from Kanu um, because we figured Pentecost is a good holiday to spend around Pentecostals. Uh, and, and we had all of these songs planned, some in English and some in Spanish, and it was going to be a beautiful day together. And when we pulled up to the church that morning, we saw a police car and a barricade and shell casings and a crime scene marked off. And uh, there wasn't anything actively happening. It had happened in the wee hours of the morning. But what we did know is that we couldn't even get to the church uh, that morning. So our Pentecost was going to be a little different than we had planned. Uh, we wound up um, communicating, figuring out, uh, and telling people if they wanted to come. But this was our first outdoor garden service. This, this is proto-parking lot church for us, right? And we wound up around the garden singing together, singing songs and languages we didn't know without any words because we thought we were going to have PowerPoint. We definitely didn't, which was fun, relying on the Holy Spirit for that. <laughs> and, and we wound up setting this table in the middle of a crime scene. You can see in the, in the back, you can see the, the caution tape still there. And this is, in my mind, if, if the garden had been a sign and symbol and foretaste of what God was doing and what God could do, in our lives and in this community, this this was maybe uh, the most like extreme version of that of of growing our worship and our uh, empathy and our feeling and our being with our neighbors right in the middle of all this. That God is still growing something, even in the midst of of trauma, of of wounding, of fear. I'm not going to lie and say that wasn't startling for a lot of us, myself included, to, to be standing in the place where just hours before there had been enough, enough hate, enough fear, enough scarcity to, to, to shoot at someone. And now we were asking the spirit of the living God to come and to make us one, come and fill our lungs, come and enable our song, come and join our hearts. To what God is doing in this world. So friends, peace and joy can still grow. This, this day was a reminder for us. And, and I love that. I love that that picture has the, the red altar cloth because uh, that, is, that is the Pentecost color for us. That this happens 
by the Holy Spirit, by this spirit of hope, the God of hope might overflow us as he fills us with joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you all pray with me? Lord, we ask that you restore us in this hope. The, the, the things that we've stopped hoping for because um, we have been disappointed or don't want to be disappointed. Give us the courage uh, once again to hope. To hope that you'll show up and the, the hope that you'll be stronger than the strong things of this world. The hope that you can prepare us and plant and water and grow and harvest joy and peace in our lives, through our lives, and collectively together. Lord, we thank you um, that you have made this, this world um, just right to grow these things, and that you've given us hope and you've given us your spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.